Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dads Read Princess Stories, the podcast where dads from around the world read stories about princesses. I'm your host, RPJ, and we are excited to announce that Season 2 will be all about Cinderella. Did you know that Cinderella-esque tales have been around since 850 AD in China? There are close to 400 versions of this tale from all around the world, in multiple languages. We are talking about French, Norwegian, German, Scottish, Irish, African, Chinese, Polish, Serbian. There's male Cinderella's, transgender, non-binary, gay, Cinderella, Cinderella's that move out right away and become their own boss in a company. It's not just a story of a pretty blonde woman having a hard time. During this season, you will hear dads from all backgrounds reading various versions of this Cinderella tale. Some of them will do straight reads of the story. Some might do silly voices. Some might even stop to talk about what they are reading, commenting on the subject. Sometimes it will be funny, and sometimes it will be serious. And at the end of the tale, each dad will give you what they think is the moral of the story. This is something that each dad comes up with. I don't write it. The podcast doesn't write it. We don't do this for them. It's all up to them. Again, this might be funny, or it might be a breakdown of what they just read. Maybe they go into detail about the problems with the story. It's all up to them. This season, you'll listen to the older versions and the newer versions. But what will be the first one? Before we get into that, we want to take a moment to let you know that we are now on Patreon. If you like the show, but don't want to wait to get an episode, become a patron to the show for three bucks a month and get each episode early. You can also donate $5 a month to get bonus episodes. That's only $2 more. That's nothing. We know times are tight right now for a lot of people, which is why we decided to make this very affordable for everyone. By becoming a patron and donating to the show, it allows us to not seek out other sponsors. We really don't want to stop the podcast mid-show to plug a food service or clothing item that you, to be honest, probably don't care about. So please consider donating today. There will be a link in the bio for you that you can click on. Easy peasy, super simple. And while we're at it, let's get all the plugs out of the way. If you enjoy the podcast, please like and share on social media. It's way better than a review on whatever app you are listening on. Trust me, word of mouth is the best review. Let's be honest. Do you really go online reading every review to decide if you're going to listen to it? No, I I know I don't. Either the photo looks really cool or the small bio hooked you or someone posted or told you about it. That's how this works. It's not like Netflix. You're not scrolling through them. Just tell a friend. We're on all the social media under Dads Read Princess Stories. Twitter, Facebook, 
Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, Good Pods, which is a really cool podcast app that helps you find podcasts that you may like. Anyway, back to the main subject. For the first episode of Season 2, we are excited to share with you, outside of the Disney version, probably the most famous telling of Cinderella, Charles Perrault's The Little Glass Slipper. Read to you by a fantastic storyteller, Brian Richmond. Brian is the proud father of Celine and Jacob Richmond, and the equally proud grandfather of Renee, Spencer, and Ira. He is known by his children and grandchildren as one who insisted from an early age that they think deeply about the meaning of any story. This sometimes resulted in him choosing, possibly slightly too advanced stories for them, like the time he took Celine and Jake to Love and Death when they were aged six and four, respectively. His name is often misspelled as Brain, a nickname he insists is ill-deserved. He has worked in the theater community in Canada and abroad in various capacities for more than half a century. And in 2008, he founded and continues to serve as the artistic director of Victoria's Blue Bridge Repertory Theater. As a freelance director, he has directed over 150 productions of theater across Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Nominated 13 times with three wins for Toronto's Dora Awards, Brian has also been nominated for several Lifetime Achievement Awards, including those offered by the Governor General's Office and National Critics Association. You can find out more about Bluebridge Repertory at www.bluebridgetheater.ca or on social media at Bluebridge on Twitter, at Bluebridge Theatre on Instagram, and Bluebridge Repertory Theatre on Facebook. With that, please enjoy Brian Richmond reading Charles Perrault's The Little Glass Slipper. Once there was a gentleman who married a second wife, the proudest and most haughty woman that was ever seen. She had, by a former husband, two daughters of her own, who were indeed exactly like her in all things. The gentleman had likewise, by his first wife, a young daughter, but of unparalleled goodness and sweetness of temper which she took from her mother, who was the best creature in the world. No sooner were the ceremonies of the wedding over, but the stepmother began to show herself in her true colors. She could not bear the good qualities of this pretty girl, and the less because they made her own daughters appear the more odious. She employed her in the meanest work of the house. She scoured the dishes, tables, etc., and cleaned Madame's chambers and those of her daughters. She slept in a sorry garret on a wretched straw bed, while her sisters slept in fine rooms with inlaid floors on beds of the very newest fashion, and where they had looking-glasses so large that they could see themselves at their full length from head to foot. The poor girl bore it all patiently and dared not tell her father who would have scolded her, for his wife governed him entirely. When she had done her work, she used to go to the chimney corner and sit down there in the cinders and ashes, which called her to be called Cinderwench. Only the younger sister, who was not so rude and uncivil as the older one, called her Cinderella. However, Cinderella, notwithstanding her coarse apparel, was a hundred times more beautiful than her sisters, although they were always dressed. It happened that the king's son gave a ball and invited all persons of fashion to it. Our young misses were also invited, for they cut a very grand figure among those of quality. They were mightily delighted at this invitation and wonderfully busy in selecting the gowns, petticoats, and hairdressing that would best become them. 
This was a new difficulty for Cinderella, for it was she who ironed her sister's linens and pleated their ruffles. They talked all day long of nothing but how they should be dressed. For my part, said the eldest, I will wear my red velvet suit with French trimming. And I, said the youngest, shall have my usual petticoat, and then to make amends for that, I will put on my gold-flowered cloak and my diamond stomacher. They sent for the best hairdresser they could to make up their headpieces and adjust their hairdos, and they had their red brushes and patches from Mademoiselle de la Poche. They also consulted Cinderella in all these matters, for she had excellent ideas, and her advice was always good. Indeed, she even offered her services to fix their hair, which was very willingly accepted. As she was doing this, they said to her, Cinderella, would you like to go to the ball? Alas, said she, you make fun of me. It's not for such as I to go to such a place. You are quite right, they replied. It would make the people laugh to see a cinder wench at a ball. Anyone but Cinderella would have fixed their hair awry, but she was very good and dressed them perfectly well. They were so excited they hadn't eaten a thing for almost two days. Then they broke more than a dozen laces trying to have themselves laced up tightly enough to give them a fine, slender shape. They were continually in front of their looking-glass. At last the happy day came. They went to court and Cinderella followed them with her eyes as long as she could. When she lost sight of them, she started to cry. Her godmother, who saw her all in tears, asked her what was the matter. I wish I could, I wish I could, I wish I could. She was not able to speak the rest, being interrupted by her tears and sobbing. This godmother of hers, who was a fairy, said to her, You wish that you could go to the ball, is it not so? Yes, cried Cinderella with a great sigh. Well, said her godmother, be but a good girl, and I will contrive that you shall go. Then she took her into the chamber and said to her, Run into the garden. Cinderella went immediately to gather the finest she could and brought it to her godmother, not being able to imagine how this pumpkin could help her go to the ball. Her godmother scooped out all the inside of it, leaving nothing but the rind. Having done this, she struck the pumpkin with her wand, and it was instantly turned into a fine coach, gilded all over with gold. She then went to look into her mousetrap, where she found six mice, all alive, and ordered Cinderella to lift up a little the trap door. She gave each mouse, as it went out, a little tap with her wand, and the mouse was at that moment turned into a fine horse, which altogether made a very fine set of six horses of a beautiful mouse-coloured dapple grey. Being at a loss for a coachman, Cinderella said, I will go and see if there's not a rat in the rat trap that we can turn into a coachman. You are right, replied her godmother. Go and look. Cinderella brought the trap to her, and in it there were three huge rats. The fairy chose the one which had the largest beard, touched him with her wand, and turned him into a fat, jolly coachman who had the smartest whiskers that eyes ever beheld. After that, she said to her, go again into the garden and you will find six lizards behind the watering pot. Bring them to me. She had no sooner done so, but her godmother turned them into six footmen who slipped up immediately behind the coach with their liveries all bedaubed with gold and silver and clung as close behind each other as if they had done nothing else their whole lives. The fairy then said to Cinderella, Well, you see here an equipage fit to go to the ball with. Are you not pleased with it? Oh, yes, Cinderella cried. But must I go in these nasty rags? 
Her godmother then touched her with her wand, and at the same instant her clothes turned into cloth of gold and silver, all beset with jewels. This done, she gave her a pair of glass slippers, the prettiest in the whole world. Being thus decked out, she got up into her coach, but her godmother, above all things, commanded her not to stay past midnight, telling her at the same time that if she stayed one moment longer, the coach would be a pumpkin again, her horses mice, her coachman a rat, her footmen lizards, and that her clothes would become just as they were before. Cinderella promised her godmother to leave the ball before midnight, and then drove away, scarcely able to contain herself with joy. The king's son, who was told that a great princess whom nobody knew had arrived, ran out to receive her. He gave her his hand as she alighted from the coach and led her into the hall among all the company. There was immediately a profound silence. Everyone stopped dancing, and the violins ceased to play. So entranced was everyone with the singular beauty of the unknown newcomer. Nothing was then heard but a confused noise of how beautiful she is, how beautiful she is. The king himself, old as he was, could not help watching her and telling the queen softly that it was a long time since he had seen so beautiful and lovely a creature. All the ladies were busied in considering her clothes and headdress, hoping to have some made the next day after the same pattern, provided they could find such fine materials and as able hands to make them. The king's son led her to the most honorable seat and afterwards took her out to dance with him. She danced so very gracefully that they all more and more admired her. A fine meal was served up, but the young prince ate not a morsel. So intently was he busied in his gazing on her. She went and sat down by her sisters, showing them a thousand civilities, giving them part of the oranges and citrons which the prince had presented her with, which very much surprised them, for they did not know her. While Cinderella was thus amusing her sister, she heard the clock strike eleven and three quarters, whereupon she immediately made a curtsy to the company and hurried away as fast as she could. Arriving home, she ran to seek out her godmother, and after having thanked her, she said she could not but heartily wish she might go to the ball the next day as well, because the king's son had invited her. As she was eagerly telling her godmother everything that had happened at the ball, her two sisters knocked at the door, which Cinderella ran and opened. You stayed such a long time, she cried, gaping, rubbing her eyes, and stretching herself as if she'd been sleeping. She had not, however, had any manner of inclination to sleep while they were away from home. If you had been at the ball, said one of her sisters, you had not been tired with it. The finest princess was there, the most beautiful that mortal eyes have ever seen. She showed us a thousand civilities. Cinderella seemed very indifferent in the matter. Indeed, she asked them the name of the princess. But they told her that they did not know it, and that the king's son was very uneasy on her account, and would give all the world to know who she was. At this Cinderella, smiling, replied, She must then be very beautiful indeed. How happy you have been! The next day the two sisters were at the ball, and so was Cinderella, but dressed even more magnificently than before. The king's son was always by her, and never ceased his compliments and kind speeches to her. All this was so far from being tiresome to Cinderella, and indeed she quite forgot what her godmother had told her. She thought that it was no later than eleven when she counted the clock striking twelve. She jumped up and fled as nimble as a deer. The prince followed, but could not overtake her. She left behind one of her glass slippers, which the prince picked up most carefully. 
She reached home, but quite out of breath, and in her nasty old clothes, having nothing left of all her finery but one of the little slippers, the mate to the one that she had dropped. The guards at the palace gate were asked if they had not seen a princess go out. They replied that they had seen nobody leave but a young girl very shabbily dressed, and who had more the air of a poor country wench than a gentlewoman. When the two sisters returned from the ball, Cinderella asked them if they'd been well entertained and if the fine lady had been there. They told her yes, but that she hurried away immediately when it struck twelve, and with so much haste that she dropped one of her little glass slippers, the prettiest in the world, which the king's son had picked up, that he had done nothing but look at her all the time at the ball, and that most certainly he was very much in love with a beautiful person. What they said was very true, for a few days later the king's son had it proclaimed by the sound of a trumpet that he would marry her whose foot this slipper would just fit. They began to try it on the princesses, then the duchesses, and all the court, but in vain. It was brought to the two sisters, who did all they possibly could to force their foot into the slipper, but they did not succeed. Cinderella, who saw all this and knew that it was her slipper, said to them, "'May I see if it will not fit me?' Her sisters burst out laughing and began to banter with her. The gentleman who was sent to try the slipper looked earnestly at Cinderella, and finding her very handsome, said that it was only just that she should try as well, and that he had orders to let everyone try." He had Cinderella sit down, and putting the slipper to her foot, he found that it went on very easily, fitting her as if it had been made of wax. Her two sisters were greatly astonished, but then even more so when Cinderella pulled out of her pocket the other slipper and put it on her other foot. Then in came her godmother and touched her wand to Cinderella's clothes, making them richer and more magnificent than any of those she had worn before. And now her two sisters found her to be that fine, beautiful lady whom they had seen at the ball. They threw themselves at her feet to beg pardon for all the ill-treatment that they had made her undergo. Cinderella took them up, and as she embraced them, said that she forgave them with all her heart and wanted them always to love her. She was taken to the young prince, dressed as she was. He thought she was more charming than before, and a few days after, married her. Of course, the moral of this story is, is that it doesn't really matter if you're beautiful and good or ugly and evil if you're in the service of a patriarchy, a belief system that defines women only by their ability to meet its definition of what they should be. In our time, smash the patriarchy is the true lesson that should be taken by young girls and women of character from this story. Whether you model yourself on the twitty Cinderella, her criminally passive father, her odious stepmother and sisters, or Cinderella's enabler fairy godmother, the result is all the same. A story that champions a male's vision of what it is to be female. And as it is more than 400 years since the supercilious Charles Barrow wrote this in service to his king, Surely it is time to invent more modern possibilities for the young women of today and tomorrow.